the incomparable. Number 508, March 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about a film that was released as we record this, as we release this, 20 years ago, exactly in March of 2000, the movie High Fidelity was released, directed by Stephen Frears, based on the novel by Nick Hornby, starring John Cusack, along with a a, a bunch of other interesting people, but he's the star. And... Uh, you know, a a romantic comedy drama film, as Wikipedia lovingly describes it, <laughs> um, is a little, you'd think it was a little afield for The Incomparable, but uh, I like this movie a lot. And it also, I find it very thought provoking. I have affection for it while also thinking about it a lot. I loved the novel from 1995 by, by Nick Hornby, who is one of my favorite writers. I think it is similarly thought provoking. Um, it was just also turned into a Hulu television television series with uh so that there once again there's another version of it that's out there right now but we're going to focus on the movie from the year 2000 here in this episode joining me to talk about high fidelity are three people who are sure to be on my all-time top five favorite panelists <laughs> the other two i'll leave to your imagination and yes it's the two you're thinking of andy and is here hi Hello, Jason. I'm, I'm very. I was very glad to double check and find out that we were going to be talking about the movie instead of the TV series, of which I have not seen yeah. any episodes. That was. I, sh- I probably should have asked like more than two hours before we were supposed to record, but you know we got here. It's all. It's all good. It all worked out. Uh, Moises Chuyan is also here. Hello. I'm Justin, and he's Vince, and we're the Kinky Wizards. <laughs> oh, J- Vince and Justin, I have things to say about them too. Uh, Kelly Gamont is also here. You heard her uh, laughing in the background and now she is here in the foreground. Hello. Listeners, I hired these guys for three days a week and they just started showing up every, every day. day. It was four years ago. <laughs> oh my God. Um, can, I, can, I, um, yes. can, I, can I do like a deep cut quote too? Yes. I'm feeling left out now. Andy. This is vintage. If you invest, if you tore it, oh my God. Yes, they're going to Take your patchouli stink and get out of here. <laughs> out of my store. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, so John Cusack, uh, which I feel like you, I, I don't know if we've done a John Cusack movie on The Incomparable before. Say Anything is one of my all-time favorites too, but I don't think we have. Uh, I'm going to sign up for what, I don't care when you record the Say Anything episode. Yeah. We did I'm a mic at episode. the movies about it that people can find, but uh, I don't know if I've done it. Anyway, John, John Cusack is Rob. He runs a record store in Chicago. In the novel, it's in North London, but uh, adapted to Chicago. For, for a movie <laughs> that moves the entire novel from London to Chicago, it's still a remarkably faithful adaptation. It's kind of interesting how the, it, the, the spirit of it remains. Um, he runs a, re- a sort of failing or not doing that great record store. Um, he's got a couple of clerks. Uh, it's uh, it's Dick and Barry. Uh, Todd Luiso as Dick. I think a really fun performance. And Jack Black <laughs> in a star making performance as Barry. Um, and Rob is a guy with relationship issues. We'll put it that way. He's just broken <laughs> up with his girlfriend, Laura. He's revisiting his all-time top five breakups. He eventually literally revisits them 
in order to find out what it all means. He's uh, trying to find his place in life. Uh, they're Vince and Justin are the kinky wizards. They're a couple of skateboarding air do wells <laughs> who do not appear in the novel at all, but are very important in this because uh, they end up sort of being part of Rob's redemption at the end where he decides to make something and put it into the world. And, uh, and uh, Rob and Laura have a, uh, their, their breakup leads to an interesting exchange of backs and back and forths. And she's moved in with somebody who used to be a neighbor and uh, it's a romantic comedy. And so I will tell you that, yes, they do get together uh, again at the end (laughs) Um, as as Jack Black's, it reveals that he can actually sing on stage. So it's a. I I think this is a delightful movie. But one of the things I really that makes it that elevates it for me is that it's a movie that I feel like has its eyes pretty wide open about how Rob, our protagonist, is a, a messed up person who has <laughs> a really broken view of human relationships and his relationships with women in specific. And that that's one of the things I love about it is it's kind of his journey to the beginnings of self-realization about how he's, uh, how, how messed up and confused his relationships have been. And I, I like, I, I just, I really like that. There are moments of reflection and realization in this movie that, um, that I, I re- appreciate every time. Cause this is a guy who is likable enough, but, totally messed up who starts to figure it out and that's kind of my plot summary of the movie is it's a broken guy who kind of starts to figure it out at the end and that's uh i I don't know it really it really strikes me so you all volunteered to be on this episode so i i'm kind of curious about uh why why this movie has some sort of resonance for you that you wanted to talk about it kelly first and foremost probably for me is john cusack um i adore John Cusack movies. Um, I have always really enjoyed his work. Uh, Say Anything, like I said, is one of my all-time favorite movies um, when we were talking about it before. And so for me, first is John Cusack, and then a very close second is the music nerdery of it. Uh And in 2000, I had not lived in Portland very long. And so uh, watching this movie and picking up on all of these references and things... um, gave me like a bunch of other music to go research and find out and learn about that was all reasonably current at the time because I saw the movie pretty close when it came out and so like in theaters so for me getting to like discover a whole bunch of music and then to have it all be pretty cool and you know like (laughs) I had that Minutemen record that Vince and Justin stole from the store and you know things like that (laughs) um like finding those things and discovering that stuff was also really great and I was still making mixed tapes at that point I'm and I made CDs after that for people and I started calling that when I would put them together I would put on it top five records mm-hmm. like that's how that because I, I loved it so much uh, and then like there was uh, there used to be like eight tracks which was like a little web service where you could put together little mixtapes and things like I've done that forever so the music piece of this I think does a lot for me and the thing about it I just finished watching it not too long before we started recording and the, the thing that stood out to me was that this is a pretty great movie about some really not great people mm-hmm. and somehow I still really enjoy it and I think a part of that is just the interesting story and uh, there's a couple things that I wish were a little bit different even still 20 years later but I enjoy it a lot and you know it it hustles right along it's you know 
know, like a two hour movie and uh, they don't waste any time on anything. Now, do I wish there were parts that we, where we found out a little bit more, did something in a, in a different way to find out more about that character or something? Yeah. But I feel like what we got right there is a very efficient unit of entertainment without sacrificing anything. Andy, what about you? Boy, there's so much I love about this movie. Part of it is I can can say how much I enjoyed watching the making of mixtapes, watching uh, them talk about like stiff little fingers. And I think, oh, wow, that was a great band. I haven't listened to it in a while. Let's go to Google Music and and get some more albums. But I I don't like nostalgia, so I can say it's not nostalgia because I was liking the exact same things about it when I saw it like in the theaters. Uh, but what I love about it is that, boy, it's so truthful yeah. about a, cer- a certain, not only a certain stage of life that is universal when uh, no, at, you're, at some point, it's no joke anymore. You are definitely not a kid anymore. You're not quite an adult anymore, but a lot of your friends are now buying houses. Some of the earlier starters are like having kids and you're like, okay, you got this. You're, it's, you're, you're now 27, 28, 29. You're really expected to have a career or figure out like who you are and what your role is in the world by now. And you start to realize that other people are realizing things that you don't. And what, what it gets absolutely spot on is the way that so many people that age, yes, mostly young men, and yes, I was in this group too. Yeah, me too. We just sort of like find distractions. We don't. We want. We don't want to. We don't want to ex- exit a certain zone of familiarity and comfort. And so it would never occur to us to to get a job that is not like working in the record store that we always lo- we used to love to work <laughs> in. And uh, they, because, uh, there, because there's a scene that I really really love when after, soon after the breakup, uh, his his uh, the apartment that he shared with his girlfriend is mostly <laughs> like the the living room is almost all like wooden shelves unpainted wooden shelves stacked with with uh, 12 inch albums in plastic sleeves and so one of the first things that he does is he takes all those albums down stack by stack by stack surrounds himself with them one of these guys that uh, you mentioned earlier who they hired him for three days a week and they just started showing up every single day sort of comes in to check in on him and they say oh wow man you seem to be like reorganizing your collection yeah i'm doing that so uh, what are you doing it by like title no and you see this little smile the first time you see rob smile no <laughs> keep on get keep on going uh <laughs> like a b- band genre no like what and with real pride he says by it's autobiographical <laughs> and if i now if i want to find if i want to get this stevie nicks album i have to remember that i bought it for somebody in 1986 but didn't give it to them and then this and this is the this is the point that hammers at home uh <laughs> the guy feels in absolute awe like wow that sounds reassuring <laughs> and, yes. I, and, and it took me a while to like realize that uh, i had this beautiful huge database with all of my comic book collection in it and it wasn't just like acquire it wasn't just reading and enjoying the comics even though i did <laughs> but it was also about okay now i'm gonna update this database and make sure okay well this is good but this is good plus so i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna create a, i should create a new table that's just for things that i do have but not in good enough and then it took me a little had to, had to get through that for a couple of years before i realized that 
okay, this is not enhancing your enjoyment of your comic book collection, let alone your life or the world outside. What are you trying not to confront? Uh, And so it really is about how at some point you do need to put things out in the world. You do need to create things. You can't just keep replaying the same mixtape over and over and over and over again to make a really awful metaphor that I already Hmm. regret. Moises? This is one of the first movies I bought on DVD. Uh, I've watched it many, many, many times. Uh, It is one of those movies that I have a sense memory for various scenes. And I I remember the the chronological progression of the scenes in the movie very vividly because I, I don't know, I watched it a bunch when we didn't have 17 different screens to pay attention to. As well made as the movie is, and as much as I've enjoyed it for so long, in the Marie Kondo sense, it no longer entirely sparks the kind of joy for me that it once did. Not to say that I hate it. Uh, Not to say that I dislike it, but there are other things that when it comes to rewatching something, I think there's a reason that I haven't watched this one, uh, rewatched this one as much as I used to. Um, You know, some of it is is stuff that I think we alluded to already, where this is very much a movie that came out in 2000 and was made in 1999. Yep. Rob Gordon gets by on the charm of John Cusack more than the fact uh, that that Rob Gordon himself is quite as charming or forgivable he he is a guy who um uh, like by by all uh by all measures by his own measures in his own narration is kind of like yeah i'm kind of a waste of time and why should somebody keep bothering with me yeah um i am a gigantic waste of time and i agree with rob gordon he's he is um i watching it now it is it is very emblematic of the um you know nerd geek just keeps trying and eventually she realizes he's a good guy and frankly being a good guy is more important than actually hmm. functionally being a decent human being to somebody most of the time uh but a good guy in the, in the genericized sense the the kind of label that would be attached to uh, some of the leads in Revenge of the Nerds, you know, oh gosh, you know, they have redeeming qualities, even though they do some abominably <laughs> terrible stuff. I think though, isn't that a classic movie move to take your, to have your protagonist who is, would not, that the audience would never ever connect to. And then you cast a charismatic movie star to play yeah. that trick of like, oh, you're in his corner. And then the movie does actually a very, as the book does a very nice pivot where we think we're on his side. And then he reveals the facts as he's making his way on the L that uh, ex- reveal that he is actually a, well, I, you know, it's a, I, I don't want to check yeah, but, the profanity well, yeah. box, but, but that, that it's actually, he's actually terrible. And Laura has plenty of perfectly good reasons why she would break up with him. Well, my, my, my take comes more from the direction of it takes him the entire movie to show a first step a of glimmer. personal growth yep. compared. Yeah. A glimmer. Yeah. He gets, he gets a glimmer and that gets him a victory. And I, th- I think it's, it's one of the reasons why. I'm I'm okay still having affection for this movie, what it meant to me, but it's it, it's something that I watched this movie fundamentally differently than I did in say 2005. I disagree with you, um, and part of that is colored by reading the novel again. This is not a happily ever after. That's one of the things that I kind of like about it is yeah, yeah, is yeah. that, and we'll we'll get there. But like Laura 
knows that she's the, she, she doesn't come to a realization she's like i give up let's just do this for a while and she sees him making the mixtape anyway we'll get there it's it's not th- that's actually one of the things i like is that he's not magically reformed at the end and she's and she knows it and we'll see where it goes is is the most positive read you can give at the end but Absolutely. you know I, you say that we disagree but i think we actually probably agree a bit more than you think i i just uh i in revisiting it not seeing more character development before we get into the last frame of things is, is kind of what makes me go. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it. I know these scenes. I know the progression of the movie so well, you know, I'm, I'm good encasing it in Amber. All right, let's take a break for one of my all time top five sponsors. This is pingdom from solar winds. If you've got a website, especially these days, because I don't know if you know this, but a lot of things are happening on the internet now. So If you have a website, your website might have complex parts like a shopping cart, registration forms, contact us pages. If you have a website, especially with parts like that, you need Pingdom because you don't want your critical website transactions to fail. That means a bad experience for your users, and it could mean lost business as well. The good news is you can set up transaction monitoring with Pingdom. I use it for the incomparable for six colors. Transaction monitoring alerts you when cart checkout forms, login pages, stuff like that, when they fail, not just is your site up, but like are parts of my site working right? Because that is what's going to most affect your customers and your business. They will let you know any time they fail, the moment they know, and you can set it up to be whatever way works for you, who gets alerted, when they get alerted, why they get alerted. You decide depending on how severe the outage is. They care about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. They care about you because they know you care about your users too. Disaster strikes because computers are terrible and they will betray you eventually. Happens to all of us. You'll be the first to know when that happens. You can fight back and fix it. Super easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell, my last name right now, 14 days free. It's a free trial, no credit card required. And then when you sign up, use my last name, Snell, as the code when you check out and you'll get 30% off of your first invoice. Pretty cool. Thank you, Pingdom, for being in my all-time top five sponsors list. Pingdom from SolarWinds. Thank you for supporting the incomparable. One of the things that impressed me so much about this movie is that it really didn't. Uh, I kind of bristled a little, a little bit at it being referred to as a romantic comedy yeah. because well, Wikipedia, that, that, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, exactly. That's it's the. A, it's it a kind of is, but it kind of isn't. You're right. It's is what kind of romance is this? There's very little romance in this romantic comedy. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't build up to like a big chase all the way through Chicago in the Loop by someone who's carrying the wedding cake away, but he's chasing the. Yeah. and, and it, it really is just about here is a segment of the relationship between these two people this is not the first time they've argued this is probably not the first time they've broken up uh, and you're right uh, at some point Laura uh, after the uh, after her decision to get back together is not well I'm glad that we've you've you've grown and just like miss just like Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire you've proven that you've remade yourself into everything yeah. that I hated everything I didn't like excuse me you fixed everything I didn't like about you that caused the breakup if the, the reasoning that she gave was so real it's just that she she was yeah. going through this horrible horrible time with, the, with her father dying and she just the phrase i just want to go home 
And when I'm with you, I feel like I'm home. And that means that doesn't mean that there's not going to be more work to do. It just means that there is something there's we have a shared life together that's worth keeping continuing to go. And the fact that she was able to the fact that he was able to move ahead (laughs) a little bit while uh, during the break from their relationship. And also at the end, just that line of I'm going to make this mixtape. I'm going to be thinking about what she would like as opposed to what I want other people to like. Because remember, because this this is what breaks him apart from his employees that all Mm. they do like jack black is beautiful because how many of these blowhards do we know in comics and science fiction and movies that's exactly right yeah it's like saying that oh my god (laughs) you're not telling me you don't own this album or or, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sell you this album because you're too big of a geek you don't deserve to own this album he's he's willing to say that it doesn't uh, my job is not to tell you what i like my job now is try to figure out what you would like for me it's more uh it's it's more about delivery method uh that's that's what it is, is I like the breathing room of this thing adapted to live motion, live action motion picture uh, where it has more time to breathe rather than the comp- I, I, I like I like living with this story either in the book or in the more novelistic approach that the TV shows is taking. But that isn't to say that I completely dislike this or, you know, that that it doesn't earn where it goes. I want to get we will get we will get back to the end at the end. But I want to jump off of something that, Andy, you just said. Which is, and I think this might color Moises's view of this movie and maybe all of our views of this movie, which is this movie, one of the reasons I chose to do this on The Incomparable is, although this movie is about music hipsters in Chicago in the year 2000, <laughs> yes. it is on one level about fandom and about a particular kind of fan and also a particular kind of arrested development that's often found in those fans. Yeah. And that that the more I thought about it, and Nick Hornby, by the way, again, I say that he's a wonderful writer. Um, one of my favorite nonfiction books of all time is Fever Pitch, which is basically his book about being a sports fan. So he's written a couple of amazing books that are about fandom. He understands the mind of a fan. He is a music and sports fan, rabid. Um, mm-hmm. And so in this movie, we get, um, yeah, there's the make a mixtape. There are a lot of rules. That line, um, my wife yes. and I say all the time, like there are a lot of rules. But um, but like <laughs> the idea that what people like is what's important, not who they are or what they're like, but what they yeah. like. That the st- the signifier is that the the films we see, the music we listen to is what's important about who you are as a person, the snobbery and and gatekeeping of Barry, especially, but all of them. But yes. Barry is the worst of it. Like, how many fan gatekeepers have we run into? And it feels like in the last 10 years, it's been way worse than... <laughs> yeah. And it was not great before in fandom, but it's way worse now. And so it's been that, weaponized. So the that, recipe got out. I can understand on one level, <laughs> after seeing that, that you'd see this movie and you'd be like, oh, I know this guy. Like, I, why am I even yeah. watching this guy? But on another level, I do feel like that there is, you know, maybe more in the year 2000 than now, there is the guy who is is leading an unexamined life in a way and and yeah. and you you want him to finally figure it out that's that's the one thing that I'm rooting for in Rob throughout this movie is is you gotta you know you gotta see the big picture you gotta grow up you gotta be better than this and a lot of people never get there and at the end there's a glimmer that he might and yes he's funny and charismatic and all that but he's also he hasn't figured it out and and Jack Black's character as funny as he is and he's very funny he is 
the worst because he is a <laughs> oh, gatekeeping yes. fan. And 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 so I think that's one of the things that I, I love about this movie is it's one of the few movies that I think I've ever seen that directly addresses in the context of music in this case, f- bad fan behavior and gatekeeping. And, you know, it, it is portrayed humorously. And there's the scene where the guy wants to get I just called to lay just to say I love you by Stevie mm-hmm. Wonder for his daughter. <laughs> for who, his daughter. Is she in a coma? Right. Oh. It's very funny, but it's also really sad because he yeah. just wants to do something nice for his daughter and doesn't know how to express himself. And he is rolled by those guys just they're they, he, like they're kicking Tim Robbins in the imaginary scene that happens in this movie. So, so I think that's I think it's interesting. That's the fun thing about being a panelist on a podcast. Uh, to paraphrase Barry, you get to talk about popular movies you don't even want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that this all, that this reminds me of is, um, and I don't know why this is a thing that always stuck in my brain. I guess because it was here. Um, there was an interview years ago in like GQ or Esquire or something with Frank Black, the frontman from the Pixies. And it was while he lived here in Portland and he may still live here. I don't really keep track of him, Um, but he lived here and he and the reporter who was writing the story went record shopping and Frank Black walked into a record store and bought a record from a dude wearing a Pixies t-shirt who said (laughs) nothing. No recognition, no glimmer of like, I know who you are, but I'm going to be cool about this. Nothing. And that like, I, like I said, I watched this earlier today and that's the thing that I was thinking of when, you know, when people were coming in and don't let anybody know that you don't own blonde on blonde. Like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, how I have met those people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. You know, and and you know, Portland, I think probably exponentiates that some, <laughs> but also like as a woman who has been known to publicly profess liking things, <laughs> uh, how dare I am you here to tell you? We yield the floor for the next half hour. <laughs> so it like I I saw a whole lot of that, but I think. Uh, I think Barry works the same way Rob works because there's a whole lot of charisma and there's a lot of charm in those two guys. It's the equivalent of the fact that nobody who's in real life is as pretty as anybody who's in a movie. It's kind of like that. Like nobody is as charming in real life as these people are in this movie, which is how it's watchable because it's so much charisma because they're awful, but they're funny and and charismatic, but they're awful. (laughs) And that was the thing was sort of being reminded like it was underscored you know, watching this again in 2020, how, yes, these are terrible people. And as an added bonus, you don't get to look away. You know, they don't don't cut to something else. Like they, they let you watch as Barry drives this dude that's just trying to do something nice for his daughter to start swearing at him in the middle yeah. of a record store. Well, he de- he de- he destroys um, t- uh, Todd Luiso, a dick, uh, when yeah. he's like, "I I got a date with with Anna Moss," and he's yes. like, he starts to riff on her name and like, "Oh, is she cut green and covered with is fuzz?" She green and fuzzy, and yeah. like, what a jerk, right? Like, he just he can't stop, yeah. and it's he, oh yeah. Even when they're on his side, you know, like those guys are on his team and he treats them just the same. And I feel a little bit like maybe Barry is where Rob is headed. If Rob can't really can't get it together, can't see anything, can't get aware, 
Exactly. I, I kept thinking, I, I watched it again for the first time in a couple of years tonight. And for the first time, I thought, this is like a Christmas carol where it's like Scro- <laughs> Scrooge is, or, you know, in the Christmas carol, Scrooge is a central character, but the whole point for is for him to reevaluate his past and make yes. himself into a better person. And I was, even before you said that, I was, as I'm, as I'm listening, I'm thinking that, my God, I didn't realize, but like uh, Jack Black is the ghost of Christmas, Christmas future. And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. try to make this work by, saying who who dick is but but it really is about self-reformation and uh, getting out of this terrible uh, this terrible cycle of uh, i'm in this record store the reason why we stay here for seven days a week is because it does no good for us to arrogantly shout our opinions at a wall <laughs> we have to shout them at people and know that we are better than that person for knowing something yes. they don't it's it's such a wonderful like the, the 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 rap battles they have and making sure that when they talk about how good an album is it's never about how that album or how that music makes them feel no. it's always about oh well you don't have like the 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 the, the craft work uh, the the summer denmark reissue they only did like 500 pressings and this has the live version from this as long as i know something about this album then you don't this album is giving me pleasure uh, it's but yes i i will stick to the christmas carol analogy because i do think it's oh, perfect oh i heard this in high school and oh it so reminds me of that thing right. that time like yeah never any of that from them which is also a thing that i think strikes me because i am the opposite of that like i carry around a ridiculous amount of music trivia in my head about that thing that time <laughs> and the person that was on that record and whatever but also like Oh, you know, I heard this in 1989 and let me tell you what it was like to hear that record when I was this old and doing this stuff and whatever. Like those things are also hugely important. Like, you know, you should check out this record. It completely changed my entire outlook on electronic music or whatever. Like, here (laughs) you go. And that like I really enjoy that piece of it. So it was kind of funny to watch them sort of just lord the trivia over each other. And it, like you said, it didn't have anything to do with I love this album ever 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 the flip side of that i think might be you you can see like because so much of this is enthusiasm gone wrong right but there is enthusiasm (laughs) there that the the three eps by the beta band that scene where they play dry the rain he says i'm gonna i'm gonna sell (laughs) copies of this and and it's like what what is this oh this is uh, the beta band oh it's good yes it is that's a moment of like ah see that's enthusiasm gone right at least for a moment yeah. and you can see yeah. the, that it comes from a place of love and then goes somewhere really wrong <laughs> but, it, but yeah, exactly it's like, just like like when they're you know, he, Rob walks in and his staff are like listening to like this really nice like raucous rock and they're both of them are like just listening to it like focus on the music but really depressed I said who is wow what, 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 this music this music yeah who, who did it those two coot those two skater punks outside <laughs> It's really good, and they're like really depressed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they can't like music by people that they hate. <laughs> yeah, it says something it bad about top them. Top five introspective hits yes. to ghosts. Yes. The thing, the thing that I find uh, wonderful about Barry as a character is that when you think he is peaked. He is not yet peaked. Yes, <laughs> he will. In fact, he will. In fact, list out songs about death. And yeah. <laughs> uh, just fresh off of the news of Rob's ex-girlfriend's dad's death. Yeah. Um, he, he uh, <laughs> oh, you know, I, many of us have known a guy who has gone that like 
quantum leaping over the edge. Um, <laughs> and some of us have uh, unintentionally been that guy uh, or uh, maybe completely obliviously been that guy. Um, it, it's all so relatable. And, uh, and I think the, the, the journey that we get here, it's, it's actually very much like a Christmas Carol for me, where there are versions of a Christmas Carol that I've watched and I love and I enjoy, and I'm looking for something a little bit different, something a little bit new or something like that. And it's like, I just want, I want to see more of Barry's journey. I want to see more of Dick's life because I've seen, I've been, I've been on this theme park ride so many times, but even being on it so many times, I'm like, I'm still hitting the same um, enjoyment triggers as, as we go. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the staging, the, the physical comedy of the, what do they go through? Like six different versions of Ian Ray, whatever he's called, uh, coming into the, coming into the (laughs) store. Yes. Never fails to make me laugh. I I love everyone. Yeah. Especially especially that it ends. (laughs) What a great choice. Like the most like demure like sort of inward like inactive dick the dick the the, the most one is the one who rips the hands by ripping the air conditioner <laughs> off the wall and slamming it right down into his head but it had a lot it had a lot of great moments but i, I really I wanted so to be i really wanted to have to say that uh, you're, you're talking about jack jack black's journey his character doesn't have a journey yeah when he sings at the end there there's, there's his journey <laughs> that scene is one of my favorite experiences in a movie theater ever because i hadn't been watching mr show i didn't get HBO. I hadn't. Been, I had no idea that he had this tenor, this amazing rock tenor and soul tenor voice. Yeah. And so, and so I thought. And I thought that remember that Jack Black was was only only became Jack Black because of this movie. Yeah. yeah. But if you yeah. when you walked into this movie because you are, it's like, oh wow, John and Joan Cusack. I am definitely in. And you say, okay, well he is your basic. Okay, the he's he is the John Belushi of the month sure. from Hollywood. And you think, yes. okay, so he's going to be like the raucous. Oh, he's always. And then he's probably going to his. Okay. <laughs> now he's going to sing well, on Rob stage. Rob is terrified pr- of him singing, right? So we're exactly. with Rob. We're like, well, I trust Rob that Barry right. is terrible. Yeah. What is happening? And he's going yeah. to be full of ego, just like he is in the store, and not have no idea how awful he is. And then I've been stealing so dry, baby. <laughs> like, oh my god! Like we're all here with jo- with John Cusack when his eyes pop open. Like, oh my god, <laughs> he's yes. actually amazing. Not just good, he's amazing. Yes. And, and the audience, and the audience did that too. I will disagree with you, Andy. He does have an arc, and he does grow. Uh, because he does that for Rob. He does that to demonstrate the fact that maybe, maybe this Grinch's heart did not grow three sizes that day. Maybe it grew like 0.35 sizes that day. Um, but he, he was there for his, for his buddy on, on the big day, uh, and sang the song that he knew meant a whole lot to him and Laura. And, and to me that, that we do get that sousson of, uh, of growth from Barry. <laughs> It's one step watching this. Most people don't know that Jack Black has this amazing voice and the engineered reaction is, is that we are just like everybody in the room impressed out of our minds that he's got this amazing voice, but also that he can be good. Like they're not singing yeah. some crazy song that you think Sonic yeah. Death Sonic Monkeys Death would Monkey, sing. Exactly. Yeah. Like they're going to sing something or Kathleen Turner overdrive. Yeah. Sonic Death Monkeys. owed to Kathleen I want Turner band to be in the sequel. I want a it sequel great, just so we can hear Kathleen Turner. They need to show up in season oh my God. two. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> We have a second sponsor this week that I need to tell you about. And guess what's in my all-time top five foods? It's pizza. It's got to be in the all-time top foods of almost anybody, right? Pizza is the best. And our sponsor is Uni, the world's number one pizza oven company. Oh, I want one of these so bad. They make surprisingly small ovens powered by your choice, wood, charcoal, or gas. 
and you can make restaurant quality pizza in your own backyard make the family happy they're easy to use they're super portable too. make yourself happy make your own stomach happy yeah the family can come along if you've got one and you want to give them pizza but whatever it's for you too because pizza is so good they're super portable, the Uni. You got to see it for yourself. They will fit in pretty much any outside space. They can reach temperatures up to 900 degrees Fahrenheit. That's 500 C. That means you can cook restaurant quality pizza in as little as 60 seconds. That high temperature is what separates average pizzas you make in a home oven from the quality you can get from an Uni pizza oven. It's twice as hot. It's that simple. One of their newest models is the Uni Coda 16. This is a gas powered oven, it can cook up to 16 inch pizzas. And it has an innovative L-shaped burner at the back that gives you even heat distribution. But their ovens start from just $1.99, and there's free shipping in the U.S., the U.K., and the E.U., with two of the coolest models being the multi-fueled Unikaru. It can use wood, charcoal, or gas, or the Unicoda 16. Listeners of this show can get 10% off their purchase of an Uni pizza oven. You're getting a pizza bargain. Pizza oven bargain right here on The Incomparable. Up to $50 off an Unicoda 16. Go to uni.com, O-O-N-I.com, and use the code THEINCOMPARABLE when you check out. It's that simple. I think I need to use that code. Uni also makes a great range of accessories, from peels to cutters to oven tables. Americans buy over 3 billion pizzas a year. This year, let's go for 4 billion. And consume approximately 350 slices of pizza every second. Even in the morning, because breakfast pizza is good. Why not make some of these yourself at home? Once you try it, you'll never look back. Making pizza at home is great. Making pizza at home with uni is even better. Bring restaurant-quality pizza to your backyard. Uni.com, O-O-N-I.com, and use the code THEINCOMPARABLE for 10% off. Thanks to uni for letting me talk about pizza and for sponsoring The Incomparable. And yes, pepperoni and pineapple is still my favorite. I want to talk, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about Laura um, Ibn Hailai, who's a, a, a Scandinavian actress who, she's got a, a murder mystery show that's probably on like Acorn or something now. She's, a, <laughs> yeah. she's, she's from, still a, she's from she's Denmark. Still, she's from Denmark. She is still a, a, a working actress in Denmark, and um, but the rare appearance in English language cinema. And this in, is, in this movie, she is doing full peak Scandinavian by driving a sob. Yeah, so of course she is. Well, <laughs> yes. And it's one of those twists that, that by casting her, they decided to make her family uh, Danish. And so there are like flags and, you know, her, like the whole at the dad's funeral, there are Danish flags and stuff like that. Like it's oh, they yeah. went, they go just they lean into it. Right. But so, you know, and talking about Laura and talking about him revisiting all of his past relationships. This is this is the the you know, is it a romantic comedy? Maybe, maybe not. Is it a relationship movie in a way? Yes, it is, because it's about this man trying to understand his past relationships and he goes into it it um which i think is another part of like rob's rob's growth or at least we get to see how awful he is and then hope that the penny drops at some point which is kind of the methodology here like he thinks that he's got all these terrible breakups and then he revisits them and and finds all sorts of information that he didn't know before the most amazing one being his girlfriend who's the movie critic with the little light up pen who uh he he dumped because she wouldn't sleep with him and then she slept with a guy like the next day and it's the that horrifying moment, which is he dumped her. He thinks of it as her breaking up with him, but he broke up with her and he de- he didn't understand that she really liked him, but didn't wasn't feel didn't feel comfortable having sex at that age. And that she was so devastated that she went out right out with this other guy and 
she says it wasn't rape because I said yes, but it wasn't far off. It is horrifying. It is this amazing moment of like everything you thought about this relationship was wrong. You're actually a real jerk. And the pinnacle of it is he leaves the the meeting with her and says, oh, this is great. I feel so much better. She dumped, you know, I dumped her and he's completely missed the point of this horrifying story. And, and, and this is Rob, right? This is Rob's history is broken. His relationship with Laura is broken. Um, and it leads to the moment that is my favorite moment in the entire movie, which is when he starts to get, I think that glimmer, which is talking about his funeral. And he says, I would like a woman, a mysterious woman to stand and sing, you're the best thing that ever happened to me by Gladys Knight. Pause. (laughs) But who would that woman be? And it's that moment (laughs) that gets me every time because that's the moment where he's like, everything that I've done, like, that's a fantasy. That yeah. that person doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. That's a fantasy person. And he's been living in this fantasy world where he always is looking for the next fantasy. And and mm-hmm. and it's a moment where he's like, oh, women are real. Right. Like yeah, it's exactly. and it's and that's a thing that many men never learn. <laughs> so correct. <laughs> See, and Stephen Frears really gets into this too because we have two at least two scenes in which of course uh, his character is doing monologues most of the time but at least twice we see him walking away from the girl she he's breaking up with or just releasing with. You can so he's 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 already inward. He's talking to the camera and walking away, but the camp the, the angle is set up so that you can still see this woman in the background. You can still see that girlfriend you were talking about that uh, that he broke up with in high school like crying because she doesn't understand why she's just been dumped. You see Lee, Lily Taylor in the back, and when yeah. she's in a very, very vulnerable moment, and all he wanted oh, was, at the time was to basically get, give me the information I need to basically help myself yeah. move and on. Then I'm out of here. And you and you see mm-hmm. and you see her like as she's as he's walking back towards the camera down the hallway. You see her standing at the hallway and sort of looking for any sign that he's about to turn around and yep. acknowledge her at all. And clo- and no. you, I, I kind of. The third sequel, after we find out uh, the, the the band list, the set list for Kathleen Turner Overdrive, <laughs> I want to see. I really, I really think that's it's a brilliant filmmaking move because I feel like I want to see the story of what happened with Lily Taylor after she closed that door mm. yeah. because it's just a brilliant, brilliant device. And I think for me, part of that, like watching it again today, was um, listening, like at the funeral after he says, "But who would that woman be?" And then he he's just sitting there and he's like in a row at the back all by himself and you can see very obviously the tears in his eyes and he's not crying over laura's dad yeah like that's not the that's not the emotion that he's sitting with there alone in that moment and it really struck me again today watching that um how like i never kind of thought about it much before i just like oh he's just you know sitting there being sorry but i never realized it was sorry for himself until today he's he's sitting there with saying sorry and meaning it for the first time and not saying it Uh because it's expected of him and this is what he does and this is a little dance he goes through Mm -hmm. and this is how he gets around accountability for not just his relationship with a person but him his whole self yeah he he is constantly pushing off and pushing off everything and and if anything like it's it's one of the things about the movie that i think um really does stand the test of time the best in this world where Still, it seems like the default for cis male white men is to apologize for being forced to apologize for something. Yeah. Apologizing for being caught, not for what you did that you were caught at. 
he yeah. well he, he he does he does that elsewhere in the movie but i i think that one of the turning points of the entire movie is that scene at the funeral where she he that shortly after he questions that and then says to her like i'm i'm sorry about your father and then he pauses and then leaves indicating that this was not i'm going to i'm going to say this and expect you to say something back or i'm saying this to see and following up with a question something you can give to me it was just simply i'm very sorry about your father he's you feel as though he's very very sincere and the fact that he walks off before he can ruin it with uh, an act of selfishness <laughs> and i think and i think that's part he starts he starts doing the version of it that he's done over and over again where he's explaining his way around how he's wrong but he's wrong and then he just leaves it at that i'm I'm sorry and it gets and, out of there before he gets can, out of yeah. there yeah and that's when she decides that i i don't i'm, I'm gonna get in my i'm gonna get in my 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 trendy european car or northern <laughs> whatever my danish car uh and i'm going to go i'm gonna go find him and i'm gonna go pick him up and i really we're, do we're both again, gonna we're both gonna get out of my dad's uh, wake here yeah, i don't i don't i'm with i'm with my i'm with my family at a very very important a big emotional time for all of us, but I don't feel like I'm getting what I need here. I need to be with my, I need to be home. I need to be with Rob. I just, it is, it is a rare, and I, I will say also loving, (laughs) loving the book. This is the book is also about this. And this is one of the challenges the book has is that again, the protagonist is awful and the book knows it. But the protagonist doesn't know it. And um, uh, by the way, this is a remarkable adaptation. I will say having read, uh, I've seen the movie way more times than I've read the book, but I've read the book two or three times. And uh, now when I just read the book again, um, it is remarkable, like whole lines of dialogue that are directly from the book, like directly. (laughs) It is it is remarkable how it is one of the more faithful adaptations I've seen. But one of the challenges is that Rob is kind of awful. And he doesn't know it for most of the movie, but the the writer obviously knows it. And I think it's a challenge because you have to walk a fine line there where you don't want to totally turn the audience away, but you also need to have an awareness that like you, you, you need to watch this guy, but you need to know to not like him and know he's, he's messed up and he's doing things badly. And it's a hard thing to do. And the book does it. And I think the movie does it too. Um, But it it is a hard thing to tell that story and have, and and that Nick Hornby's obviously telling that he lived through it and (laughs) feels like he's come out the other side as a human being of saying, you need to look up from your favorite stuff and, and engage with other people and value them for what they want and and not what they can give to you and it's a process and in at the funeral yeah he gets a glimmer of it and then there's another glimmer at the very end where he makes the mixtape and he gets a a feel for it when Laura forces him into returning to his life as a DJ and suggests that he produce the Kinky Wizards album like there are these moments that maybe are the start of him growing up and and maybe aren't but uh i think it does come back to the funeral and that moment where he realizes that all of his fantasies are fantasies and that none of them is going to be true and the way he's going there will be nobody to say you were the best thing that ever happened to me because why would there be <laughs> so yeah, yeah. When, when he when she 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 comes in without him knowing and sees that he's written out like my my goals in life or my dream jobs it's okay five, so five, four dream jobs oh, five dream jobs so four of them Straight involve of a time book. machine yeah. and one of them is something that you don't want to do anyway <laughs> on the topic of the adaptation John Cusack being one of the four credited writers on this, the fact that any movie gets made is a miracle, first of all, but the process of it is always tug of war and their battles big and small. And originally, 
apparently he did not want to break the fourth wall and talk directly to the audience. But to me, that is the reason that Rob is tolerable. I agree. In the movie. Because that's where you get Nick Hornby's voice yeah. and you get that little, the little totally agree. understanding that what he's saying is not quite right. Right. Like it's that authorial <laughs> voice. It's where you get that wrestling with himself. Yeah. It's, it, it is, it is what keeps you going along and not going, God, this guy's a dirtbag. I hate him. <laughs> Why don't you yeah. just like paint his face clown right, colors and run around killing people? Is, as the narrator, uh, he's slightly more knowing than in his actions. Right. And that's part of the trick I think that yeah. Nick Hornby plays. And, yeah. and, and it is, it is beautifully done to have him do that. I am, I'm always baffled by some of the Britishisms that are in here. Um, like, uh, she does <laughs> doesn't know anyone called Ian. And called I think Ian. that's not, uh, that's, that's weird. It's, that's what that's it is in classic, the book, but it's weird. Classic, classic Chicago and Yorkshire yes, slang. It's also New England. I would have said, yeah, called all right. It, it's, it doesn't quite ring true to me, but it is, it is a Britishism that's in the book. And so it's fine. Ian also, I mean, that's, there are a lot of these names that are very English names because yeah. they just well, took the names that were in the book. But, but, and used but it them. does make Ian come off as more of a pretentious dip. It's true. Who came from pretentious dip parents. It does. And, and you know, I, the other bit on the adaptation is I, I know that I know that um, there are things that benefit greatly from big divergences from source material. But I think just directly lifting all of the best cuts yeah. from the source material really help make this thing work even when you know there is a little bit of you know slang that's uh weird for some guy from chicago um that completely aside <laughs> the fact that they made that choice rather than go oh we can make up stuff that's funnier than this mega award-winning book that has sold a whole ton of copies and is much beloved <laughs> and so on um that they respected the the work of the writer who came before them that is the whole reason they liked the book in the first place yeah uh, right Which how is- un-hollywood <laughs> the one addition they make is interesting because it's it's Vincent Justin and the Kinky Wizards and I think the reasoning if I I'm just guessing here is the book the idea of him going back to being a DJ is the moment of clarity that he loved that and that was a thing where he was putting his positivity into the world and his creativity Mm -hmm. it's also emblematic because that's where he met Laura was while he was DJing and so the book ends with basically them reviving the club where they met which is basically a rented room above a bar in North London and start doing the weekly DJ sets at the club. And that's that's his moment. And I think the producers of this and the screenwriters decided that that was not quite a, a positive enough of an ending for Rob in the movie to be like, and then he went back to being a DJ. So they added Vince and Justin and said, music, creativity. He's going to produce their album because he knows he can help them become successful. And I think it's good to add that extra layer onto his journey. Yeah, I do too. He, he's the senior person in that relationship. This per, he that the that those two are like those kids who are just screwing around yeah. shoplifting. But they're also kind of pure, right? All they have is love for mu- for music. <laughs> they're kind of pure. They steal because they have no other option. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, it's only a loaf of bread, Javert. They're skateboarding punks, but they but they love right. They're 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 not yeah. robbed. They're not. I mean, they're they're, they're creating something. They're creating something brand new that even Barry can get into. But but yet they're staying close to their roots because even in the final scene, they're they're stealing CDs from from, from Rob's DJ from their booth. own release party. Yep. Yes. from their own release party. Good yep. for them. Love them. Yeah. Standing on the bar with the straw in the beer bottle makes me laugh. Yeah. Every they're time. underage, everybody. Yeah, they're underage, everybody. We're gonna lose yeah. our liquor license. Have fun drinking. I have to. I actually have to. But you're. you're 
absolutely. I love what you said, Jason, because I, I have to remind myself that this is a Stephen Frears movie, because when you come to like who who uh, which creators like app for me, absolutely uh, emblemify uh, English storytelling. And it is Stephen Frears as a director, the, the guy who makes these like not just not just British movies, but these British movies that even English people are kind of embarrassed by. <laughs> like, because, oh, my God, we're not really like that. This is like Stephen Frears cosplaying as Savage Steve Holland, who made Better Off Dead. <laughs> The, f- the fact that Nick Hornby has written two books that translated very, very well into uh, American cast and American stories shows you how universal these stories he's telling are. That it's not, it doesn't, it really isn't about, uh, it really isn't about like the, the, the Red Sox winning the world, fans of the Red Sox always f- following and trying to get, getting, always getting their heart broken season after season. It really is about something universal. It could be about a football team. It could be about, it could be about religion. One last thing I wanted to say about Laura, which is, uh, important and it, it is uh, oh by the way we haven't we've only mentioned in passing Joan Cusack bless her heart yes. she's so great and she's oh. and she is in the middle of this she is the 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 she wants to be the understanding friend but then she finds out more information which of course is that twist where we find out that rob is way worse than we even thought he's just kind of done all these awful things and then she finds it out too and she's very angry with him and all of that but uh so she gets stuck in the middle between them but part of the story here also that adds to the richness of this is This is about a man who is uncomfortable with the fact that his girlfriend is more financially and career-wise successful than he is. Because the whole core of this is Laura used to be a nonprofit uh, public defender or a nonprofit lawyer or something like that. And now she's got a corporate Mm -hmm. job. She has to wear suits. She has to wear makeup. She has to not be a punk rocker like she used to be when she met Rob. And she also Mm -hmm. makes all this money and loans some of it to him when the store was going to go under. And the, the fact is, I didn't notice that as much maybe 20 years ago as I do now, but it is absolutely part of their relationship that he is unhappy with the power dynamic because she's successful and has money and he's not. And he doesn't like that he's not the one who's successful in the relationship. And I think that is a thing that a lot of men deal with in their relationships too, or can't deal with. Whether he admits it or not, though, I think also part of it is that, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, like uh, your friends are buying houses and yeah. having kids. Right. She's got a grown up job burbs, now. And she's doing the same thing. She's sort of evolving into whatever iteration comes next. Yeah. And he doesn't ha- either doesn't have an interest in that or doesn't have the ambition to do anything like that and step out and do something. He's definitely afraid of being left behind by her. Right. Yes. And I think that's part of where it comes from is that he feels like that's exactly what's happening. So it's very, uh, you know, you can't fire me. I quit, you know, kind of by going out and doing all the other stuff he did. So and she's not blameless in this either. I mean, like that was the thing is like I had forgotten that she was also pretty not great. Yes. But yes, Joan Cusack. Uh, stuck in the middle of all of that was so pretty impressive. And I, I love her. I love her attitude. I love her stomping into the store, yelling at Robin, <laughs> stomping out again, so good. which 
I cannot quote here, but I adore it. I love her hair. I love her weird outfits. I love everything that happens with Joan Cusack. She's my favorite. She's she's Jean Hackman. She is never not good in whatever <laughs> she is in. Yes, I agree. she's perfection. Yes. Okay, yeah. let's talk about. Um, the, I mentioned her daughter earlier. Let's talk about Lisa Bonet as Marie DeSalle. She is the she is the uh, musician, and Rob's got this like oh, always wanted to be thanked in the liner notes kind of thing. And she bounce bounce ideas off of me, and she's playing yeah. while I'm doing whatever in the living and she, room. Yeah. She they see her, they see her playing playing an uncool song right where that ever oh, the, Peter he, Frampton right yeah. and, Ooh, Peter Frampton and they're Ooh, all like I, so I kind of like God, it now guys. I hate this I kind of like yeah. that song yeah. now and, yeah. and and they and they have an, an interesting moment where like they they promote her at the record store and she comes to the record store and then and this is right after Rob has seen Laura and there's that moment when he's narrating and he says so of course as it's right in the book too of course I immediately go out and sleep with Marie DeSalle and that yeah. that is that is what happens <laughs> and yeah. Marie DeSalle magically makes the store busy like very right briefly. after they hook up like <laughs> mm-hmm. suddenly people are in the store on a regular yeah. basis oh, yeah well okay well let's just say that there are weekdays where Nora's coming in i i i took that that one scene in which the place is packed to be this is a weekend or this and this is it's a nice day outside and this is sort of a hip becoming hip area i'll i'll let them have that but yeah the the, the especially at the point at the point in the movie where all three of these people who work at the record store are looking at marie de Salle as the ultimate collectible <laughs> for record collectors a, a music Mm-hmm. girlfriend uh also also i have to say that twice in my life i have looked at part of uh a section of my home and thought that what if i made a partition wall out of like salvaged windows like in marie de Salle's apartment <laughs> before and, th- and that would last just long enough to figure out okay they must have been they must have been hanging those windows off like a steel girder on the ceiling because there's no way you're going to be hanging those off of anything less than like full steel yeah not in real life I liked her so much that when she just kind of disappears from the narrative again, that was yeah. one of those things where I was like, I just, I want more from mm. all of this. And then Hulu gave me a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. It was sad. Cause I, that was one of the things I want to change. Like I want to find out more about her. Mostly like, where did she go? They're also talking about like their exes. Cause they're both basically, um, sad because they've broken up, uh, with their ex, their now exes. And, uh, she says, it was called James. <laughs> I love that so and much. She's, <laughs> and so she's good. as far as you could get from the manic pixie dream girl uh, type. Like she is more your laid back witchy queen girl. I don't know, something or another. But like she she is she is so far away from that trope characterization that got layered onto, uh, you know, love interest characters in a bunch of movies around this time. It It's delightful. I thought they telegraphed pretty early on that she and he are both in exactly the same space. They just want to hook up just to someone to talk, someone to be sad with and have sad sex with. I didn't I it's not as though I didn't want to see any more of her character, but I felt as though as a as a story, I felt as though that character had served his function. Yeah. And I like that she walks off. Right. I mean, this is this is right. is Rob's didn't movie. So it, this is the end heart. of the one, the one night stand. And she's like, you know, so it goes or whatever she says. And she walks yeah. off. She takes her hat and she walks off and that's the end. And but she is it, it's it's a great appearance. And, and that's why there's that moment of mind blowingness that her daughter is Rob in the TV show. It's like, <laughs> wow, wow. Um, amazing. We're not old at all. 
we're still quite liberal. Back in 2000, it was more like, wait a second, this is uh, this is the Denise from the Cosby Show and uh, and yeah. a different world. And oh, by the way, there is a Bill Cosby reference in this movie. Which I, I was I was going to say I, I would like to I would like to change my earlier response of of quote it, it, <laughs> that is a Cosby sweater. A Cosby, a Cosby sweater. Cosby you know, sweater. I, I don't want to I don't want to make that joke in public anymore because people no, will take no, it out no. of context because of Bill Cosby. But that is a really funny joke. Yes. That's such it a is. good. Joke. My friend Allie Gertz, her Twitter username was Cosby Sweater oh. for the longest time because of that That's line. So and then all the Cosby stuff yeah. hit and people were like, how dare you protect him? And she's like, look at my feet. I've no. been attacking him left and right. Okay, yeah. I need to change And they this. were making fun of Bill Cosby, but still. I don't know that that sweater deserved quite such a strong judgment against well, it. No, I mean, no, it wasn't it, great, it was a, but it, it was wasn't Cosby wool, level. Simple wool, horizontal stripes. It was Jack Black, Jack Black. Pretty much, pretty much establishing that you are dressed. You are dressed as a, as a reasonable adult your age would dress, and therefore I must Shame. attack this. Yes, get out. Yes. <laughs> it's not. It's not enough that you be. It's not enough that you be wearing a rock and roll T-shirt or a music T-shirt. <laughs> it has to be a vintage rock and roll T-shirt, not a reproduction. It's yes. vintage. Yeah. yeah this right. is vintage, until, and if you score it. Other, I'm going to bust your nose. Like out of left field uh, <laughs> pop culture references. I had forgotten until I rewatched this that Rob's mom is played by John Travolta's sister. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. Out of nowhere. We haven't mentioned Charlie at all. Oh, no. Um, we have Catherine Zena Jones, who is that. That is a, a, you know, the moment where he says, oh, Charlie is awful. Like, it's such a great moment. And <laughs> she is. She's like, she's just an like, she's such a fake. Like, it, it's it's great. It's a it's a great performance. And it's a great moment of like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> That, yeah. the, per, the perfect the perfect college crush like i'm i'm an adult i'm an adult now i'm I'm living on my own and the person who can really really take your heart and just stomp on it by being like just making you disposable and he, he, the reason why he just and he, he the the line that i suddenly found that i was no longer in college <laughs> like you thinking yes. that after, after the breakup thinking that okay was it i uh, did did he act out and was expelled or did he just simply stop going to classes and then <laughs> then the ra said hi you don't live here anymore <laughs> go away yeah i i really liked the when he uh got her on the phone when they were first talking and and she, she I don't remember what she says. And he says uh, she always talks like this, like nobody has ever in the history of the world had this conversation before. She's incredible. And then like we go right into whatever the dinner party thing was. And then he's like, she's terrible. She's, and yeah. it was, I thought you were going to say that this this is where I thought that she's kind of devious and manipulative, like even at the outset. I said, oh, God, I don't I don't know why. But old boyfriends keep calling me. I've been calling mm-hmm. me up lately mm-hmm. to, to rehash old relationships. Oh, no, yeah, no, no, no. That's no. not that at all. And so she's basically putting out there that I know why you're calling. Like, OK, mm-hmm. you're saying that you're not doing it, but I'm going to invite you to this dinner party. So you can basically so we can prove that this is uh, exactly why you call. And it, it, it really takes true talent for somebody to play uh, so incredibly vapid a person covered in all of the window dressing, uh, as he puts it differently, as this character is. And uh, it is it is a testament to Catherine Zeta-Jones' talent that she's able to pull this off so perfectly mm-hmm. because I think so many of us have, whether we've actually dated someone like this <laughs> or we have been interested in a person like this where we are we have been convinced that there's a whole lot of there there and there just ain't no there there yeah she, she's yes. charlie is per, Char, charlie is a perfect example of someone who takes an utter lack of self-awareness and turns it into a feature rather than a bug 
because she's clearly doing okay Indeed. for herself yeah. and she clearly her i think that i'm just gonna think about myself i have no awareness of anybody else's emotions around me seems to have worked out for her good good luck it's also uh you know she's got her dinner parties and her people who are professionals and Rob doesn't fit in with them. So I think he also feels like this is the, these are, these are these fakes, these grownups, these, these yuppies, <laughs> and he's not one of them. And so that's, that's in it too. But uh, yeah, fundamentally, this is somebody you knew in college and they met yep. a lot to you in college yeah. and you see them now and you have this moment of like, Oh, like I, I could, I can imagine they would mean as much to me now as in college, but that's not true. We both moved on and no, no. They are still surrounded by all of these small talkers who don't know how to have yeah. a conversation that he can jump in on. And this is a guy who knows a lot about a lot of different things. And for there to be no hook into a conversation with these folks, he, the, the shine has worn off of feeling, feeling glad to just be nominated yeah. or feeling glad yeah. to be invited yeah. to the cool kid party where he realizes, oh, there's They, they don't care about here. my knowledge about music they, history. They, they don't care about anything. They don't care about knowledge about anything. They care about projection and that's it. It almost feels like she didn't evolve and he's sort of seeing that. Like, you yes, know, for she's, sure. who, she's who she was when they were together and he's realizing that he sort of romanticized that relationship. Is she a ghost of Christmas past then, Andy? <laughs> uh, <laughs> she could be hunger or want. I don't know. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the ending. For me, one of the great things about this movie is that the ending is him having maybe some glimmers of hope and that's our happy ending is oh maybe rob will eventually figure this out it, it, as opposed to yay rob figured it out and everybody's happy because laura at the funeral it does she does have that moment where she's like look it's just easier to be with you right now so let's do that and he's still a mess he meets with that reporter in a scene that's really important where she wants to talk about the the album and the djing and uh he he, he goes autopilot straight into he, i'll make you mixtape rob right? can i get it like yeah. so that and and she knows and laura knows that and then you know but he get he does the dj thing and and barry is there showing a little bit of personal growth maybe and uh and in the end he's sitting there as stevie wonder starts to play the good stevie wonder not the bad stevie wonder that they <laughs> shouted at the band about the earlier good stevie wonder um and and has that final line, which is exactly how the book ends. You will not be surprised to know, which is he's now making a mixtape for Laura of stuff that she would like because he's starting to realize what that, you know, basically yeah. how he might do that. And this is that moment where through music and music knowledge, which is his thing, he's starting to think about like other people's needs instead of his own. And it's a hopeful note, but it is also not like an ultimate and they lived happily ever after. It's right. really like maybe this guy right. has finally taken the first step to being a reasonable human being. And, and we yeah. do get a progression from the funeral where, where it's, this is, this is easier than not at this point where getting over the, the speed bump that is him kind of flipping into reflexive autopilot mode over the cute music journalist who he can impress with all of his, you know, crazy hipster knowledge. Oh boy. Um, we we see it develop into them actually both of them talking about the future together yeah. instead of Laura talking about the future and it hits the brick wall. <laughs> and Rob's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. So also I was thinking about putting another shelving unit in for all my records and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But Rob, I was talking about maybe when we have kids, what? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, that sounds great, honey. So anyway, uh, all my Black Flag <laughs> records, I really need to just have them in one localized place. If I had two copies of each, then I could put one under the bees, another one under the color, songs based on color. Yeah. How do you feel about a safe deposit box? Yeah, no, the, the and, and in here is also her, um, you know, encouraging him to DJ and when he, he when he like doesn't want to do it. Like this is them trying to negotiate um a new kind of thing for their relationship because they both admit that their relationship had completely um fallen apart and and it was it was mutual and so here you know part of it is she's going to not kind of accept rob as he was um the book is goes into more detail but this is basically like she's well aware of his act uh and uh and has some hope that he is figuring it out but it that's that's really where it is is like you know did he figure it out there's some some positive signs that he might be able to move forward and she's not and what she's not doing is like oh uh, you know i'm glad i've i've reformed him or it's easy for me to go back to him and this is the resolution like she knows i feel like laura knows fully about rob and is watching to see if he if he makes it or not she has no illusions yeah, they. I, I once again will say that I don't think that she goes back with him because it's easier. I really think mm-hmm. the key phrase is that I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And that's the play. That's the, uh, every time I, I think almost everybody who has had that kind of a serious relationship that, you know, can go the distance has had that. The, the difference between that and someone you're dating and you just enjoy hanging out with them is I just feel like I'm safe here. I feel as though and not because I'm not making changes. I just feel like this is my home base. This is where I, I feel comfortable when I when I cl- when I go back into this house and close the door behind me, I'm I am I, I, the entire world is out there and. And my entire world mm-hmm. is in here, but uh, the it's uh, I, I have to say that I th- I think that number one the one thing that could have absolutely destroyed this movie and I think we're all in agreement on this is some sort of like fade to black and then super title five years later oh, God. we see that now he's got his big record company and she's the corporate lawyer for the record company because yeah it really is all about okay they got past this so the, and they f- right. feel as though they've gotten there stronger and I have to say that I'm not one for ooh but you, you notice that uh, there's a there's a plant on the on the table on the end of the table at the beginning of the movie at the end of the movie there's a plant there's a planter with a cut i'm not one of those people who tears those things apart however i couldn't help but notice that through nearly all the movie until the very very last act when she's moved back in uh, I thought that was weird, the layout of their living room. It's a very, very small apartment. It really does look like it's just like a living area, a kitchen area, and a bedroom. Uh, and most of the living area is filled with, again, his like un- unvarnished uh, wood uh, uh, record bookcases and his stereo. But it, for most of the movie, there are only two chairs inside that living room. There is his like leather like music listening chair that's facing towards the camera, next, and it's next to all of his equipment. And then there is what I assume to be her like work chair uh, on, on, over little desk that's facing outward towards the window so you've got two two chairs for people to sit in to face in all the directions but they have no ability to sit together but in that last act when you see that after that they move back in together finally there's a sofa and they're sitting together on the sofa so what you're saying is the whole thing could have been avoided if they'd gone to crate and barrel so maybe this is like the end of Inception, where I'm. I want to see. I want to believe that the top is like wobbling at the end, and I'm. I'm reading into this, but I think that this is an indication that they have moved forward because they they yeah. must have lived there for a long time without buying a couch, and now they've bought a couch to sit together. Uh, a scene that that we didn't mention that is also important is there's that scene where um he meets her and um at the bar and proposes to her, 
and yeah. and and he and she's she doesn't say yes, right? She, she doesn't take him seriously. She doesn't at take, all. But he gets no. but he gets a lot of information out about how he's thinking and that he feels he needs to do it. And it's like it's a moment that he is. You know, again, the the gesture he's making is the wrong one, but he may be making it for good reasons. And I like how she handles it, which is, you know, well, now I need to ask. And she says, well, now you've asked. Right. And it's like it doesn't unlike almost any other movie where the proposal scene either goes really well or it goes really badly. Instead, she's like, I get what you're doing here. I'm not going to mm-hmm. I'm not going to say yes, but I get what you're doing here and I appreciate <laughs> that you did it. And uh that's again not a scene that you see and I like that too and it says a lot about how she sees him. She understands what his deal is and that that is maybe one of the reasons it feels like home um and that that uh her understanding might be a a reason that you know he uh, is figuring it out because because she actually gets what he's what he's uh trying yeah. to figure out. I don't know. It's like a there's a there's a bit of a uh, there's a level of understanding between them that is um mm-hmm. that is special. I think. Maybe caveman little... Rob no understand how communicate human emotion. <laughs> caveman Rob want try. Like it's good try. Good try. I never ever thought they got married though. Like ever. It never ever occurred to me that the two of them actually like capital E ended up together. Who knows? I mean that's the that's the beauty of it is is that there's no way to tell what will come next. I, I yeah. but certainly I mean that's that's how I feel about it. Kelly is is did they end up together? Well, no, the movie ends and that's it. But I don't think there's any yeah. evidence to, to anything other than that maybe this relationship will improve. That's like it. Yeah. One of the things I like most about I, I guess you would say the Frenchness of the ending, leaving it open like that, is that it. It pushes away from the perfect soulmates and love conquers all happily ever after everything's great and hermetically Mm -hmm. sealed in a bag and instead goes with these two people who have both been through a lot and been through the ringer with a bunch of other people go, you know what? We both got away from versions of ourselves that were truer to who we really are and we were best together when we were doing things that we that we were proud of and that we mutually, uh, you know, deep down meant a lot to us. Where, yes, Rob's haranguing of her about how, you know, like she was a sellout. Not the best way to deliver that. But <laughs> but but what what he was getting at was something about authenticity, which, you know, this could extend into a whole J.D. Salinger riff about about phonies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, the, you know, there there is there is definitely something there that is rough around the edges. It's imperfect. And they both go through enough over the course of this movie where they they settle on on the idea that this is not settling. This is settling into the versions of themselves that they miss and had gotten gotten away from being able to recognize that they missed in the first place. And it's possible that's that's part of what Rob gives to Laura. Like Laura is she says she's happy as like a corporate attorney, but she gets to go home to a funky apartment with band with music, rock and roll posters on it. And she gets to have a have a boyfriend who is like really into music and is mm-hmm. she and and she's the person who has the idea of, hey, let's get him back into DJing. Partly because I think I think part of it is like rehabilitating her home, saying that, OK, now clearly this this water heater is about to go. I don't want it to just go all over the floor so why don't i just fix it before <laughs> before it actually explodes but also it's like she there's part of her who really is that punk those bangs that she's got they're not very they're not very 2000 corporate to me they are like the last holdover of the haircut she wore to every single band every single mm. club she ever went to they are she did them herself 
is what yes. they are. It's very DIY. Yeah, I know that look. Uh, I think part of it for me is like it. I I'm not sad that in my brain they don't end up together because I feel like they sort of part on much more amicable terms when it's per- once it's permanent and then each of them goes on having evolved through that relationship into yeah. whatever it is and then each of them ends up with whoever they end up with and and you know grow old together and are very happy and that's all fine and it, like in my brain it's still a happy ending it's just not this because this isn't really this is like the end of the beginning like we see him starting to get it some new neural pathways are happening huh. and he kind of you know like he adds a, a a couple extra words here and there you know uh Moises earlier with caveman rob you know maybe he starts using adverbs and things you know and starts speaking in complete grammatical sentences and walks a little more upright <laughs> and you know like that's the bit we see he gets to he gets from caveman rob to like neanderthal rob you know kinnawick rob he goes from how do i hit this with a stick and make it not a problem anymore rob to <laughs> Maybe I could have a conversation about this. Yeah. <laughs> to copper tool rub to bronze tool rub. There it's we go. Step up. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, um, I have enjoyed having a conversation about this movie. Before we go one last time, I'm going to go around. Uh, any final thoughts about revisiting High Fidelity? Andy? Uh, just that it was uh, you love it when you go back to a movie you loved when you saw it at the very very uh, when it was released and you still love it and it's and uh, Roger Ebert uh, had was would routinely re-review uh, one of his favorite Fellini movies because uh, La Dolce Vita yeah. because to him he's the first time he saw it he was the same age uh, as, I think the first time he saw it young, he was a little bit younger, younger. than the character yeah. who was a, who's mm-hmm. a journalist who's kind of having a crisis then the next time he, he was seeing it and he was stopped that narrating my life <laughs> <laughs> but but it's but it's nice to be able to look at this but uh, but john cusack's character rob he is will always be 27 28 whatever that age is and now i get to look at it from the age of someone who was let's say substantially more than 27 or 28 and it's interesting to see how you check the differences between those two and that's a difference between how i saw uh, i saw clerks when it first came out too and oh, clerk, yes. And, and it's kind of the same sort of thing. It's vaguely the same sort of thing in which you have a main character who feels like he's absolutely stuck and he's not moving forward and he hates his, and he's miserable in his life and maybe he doesn't realize how miserable he is in his life. But when I now when I see that as a as an as an adult, like a grown grown arsed adult, as opposed to like 20, 19 or 20 year old or however old, old I was, it's like, wow, that's a very juvenile way of expressing the, of telling that kind of a story. There's really is no meat on that bone. It really is. It's not it's not unentertaining, but it doesn't really stick around. I, I feel the same way about uh, about uh, the Heartbreak Kid, a movie from 1972 with Charles Grodin. I feel like that's a very immature way of looking at a person who is not ready to get married, but gets married. So that's <laughs> I'm very, very pleased by it. And I, I was uh, a matter of fact, I was uh, I think I no, I did. I actually ordered a, a used Blu-ray of it because I went into my Plex server because I thought I, it's one of those movies that, well, surely at some point I've bought this movie. I, I cannot. <laughs> I'm like Jack Black. You're not going to don't let anybody know you don't own high fidelity on Blu-ray. It's all going to be okay. Here we go. It's all going to be okay. Kelly, you have uh, any final thoughts? Am I a podcaster because I'm miserable or am I miserable because I'm a podcaster? I I would buy that t-shirt in doubles to have like one that's absolutely clean whenever I need to like be photographed wearing a cool t-shirt and one that I would just simply wear every day. Coming soon to the incomparable store. Yes. (laughs) 
have one in mirror font so when I'm brushing my teeth and shaving in the morning, I can read it <laughs> every morning. Moises, <laughs> final thoughts? You know, this, this is one heck of a movie and uh, tagging off of a uh, part of what uh, what Andy was saying. When this movie came out, I was about 10 years younger than Rob, and now I'm 10 years older than Rob. And uh, there are parts of it that hit me differently. Uh, there are parts of it that m- make it, uh, you know, what what I said in the beginning, where it's it's not that I dislike the movie or I reject it or, you know, I've, I've, I've completely turned a different leaf on it. Uh, but it, it means something different to me now where I long for the kind of breathing room and more novelistic character development that, that I get out of the TV show. And maybe, you know, the reason that, uh, that I have trouble watching it is, you know, it, it hits a bit too close to home in some places, uh, and, you know, triggers the, the, the kinds of memories I'd like to, you know, I'd like to, to leave for the therapist couch, uh, at certain <laughs> points. This is a comfortable movie for me. I don't revisit it as much as I did back in the old days, but there's so much more material available to us than um, was available back then. But, um, but I, 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 you know, again, I, I think this movie says some things that I don't see in a lot of other movies and that's why I'm attracted to it, that it is about people who are enthusiastic and how that cuts both ways and they can be gatekeepers and awful, but they also have that enthusiasm, which is endearing and about, uh, I like I said I recognize this person, uh, some of uh, some of it in myself that I changed about myself, and some of it in people that I have known over the years, and it, to watch that journey, and I'm rooting for him not because he is he's he's great in the moment, but because I I like to believe that a lot of the people who are in where Rob is do figure it out and turn the corner and treat their partners better and treat their friends better. And, um, you know, that's, that's the, the dream uh, as we watch Rob is that he, he is, he, he has some very, some great moments of clarity where you think, yes, hold on to that moment because that will change your life. Um, and there's a a lot of fun stuff in it too. I just want to jump in real quick because I think, uh, for me, this is probably different from you all because you can see yourselves in Rob and I just see people that I dated. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to so, say, you Kelly, get, you get Kelly, from you the can other still direction, right? fix him. Kelly, you can still fix him. <laughs> this is not that movie, honey. Um, <laughs> like for me, that was the part that was kind of good about it, though, was like he's goofed up and she's goofed up and it still ends up being like not a happy ending, but like you know, we talked about it not being a lot of romance, but there's some romance in that. And like the two of them are sort of, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly where you're coming from. And you know the same about me. Let's do this. And I think like fundamentally, that's really optimistic. The scene in the car, there's a very different version of that scene playing out if it didn't if it didn't have the weight of their entire relationship that we've gotten various waypoints of up until that point. For sure. Yeah. And I think for me, that's the part that makes it, you know, diff- a different experience from, from all of you, but also the part that, that makes it kind of more interesting to watch because it's not like one of them's perfect. It's not like one of them's trying to fix the other. And they're both going into this with their eyes wide open. They know they both kind of are getting a good idea of who they are and they know exactly who the other person is and they're doing it anyway. All right. With that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of The Incomparable Thanks to all of my panelists, Andy and Iko. Thank you for being here. Thank you. For, nice to be nice to be back after after a long, long hiatus. Yes, I'm glad to have gotten you here, Kelly Gamont. Thank you. Good luck. Goodbye. Thanks, boss. <laughs> <laughs> and Moises Chuyan. Thank you. 
Jason, I could list the top five things I'm going to miss about this recording, but number one would be the sense of humor. The Incomparable is very dry, but it can also be warm and forgiving. And Kelly, she's got one of the best all-time laughs in the history of all-time laughs. She laughs with her entire body. <laughs> and I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks to everybody out there, but especially to my panelists. I you know, asked them to be here for one hour, and they just started showing up for every episode that was 10 years ago we'll be back next week with another episode (laughs) goodbye everybody